All right, let's turn in our Bibles to uh, Job. Job 14, verses 13 through 14. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'll read those verses. Job 14, verses 13 through 14. Oh, that thou wouldest hide me in the grave, that thou wouldest keep me secret until thy wrath be past, that thou wouldest appoint me a set time and remember me. If a man live, excuse me, if a man die, shall he live again? All the days of my appointed time will I wait till my change come. Now let me ask you, is there life after death? If a man die, shall he live again, Job wrote. Well, you know the answer to that, but I want to look at that topic tonight. Is there life after death? For the Christian, the answer to that question is found in the scriptures. For example, John 11, 25 to 26, Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? Immortality is their life after death. Now, I don't know about you, but I believe we live again. Further, there is hardly a subject in religious thought that holds such universal interest as the subject of the future life. That subject has occupied the mind of man in every age. Invariably, there has been a longing in the heart of man to perpetuate self beyond the grave. It's our desire to enter into eternal life. Instinctively, we feel that life lies ahead of us. The term we use to describe that concept is immortality. And immortality is the eternal, continuous, conscious existence of the soul after the death of the body. Again, Immortality is the eternal, continuous, conscious existence of the soul after the death of the body. Now, put on your thinking caps here. An amazing thing is that after not being in existence through an eternity that is past, we have existence now. In other words, from not having been we are now human beings. We continue in life. We, can, we continue to live in new bodies that are perpetual from, perpetuated from generation to generation. All the way down from Adam to now, there is the line of life that comes to us today. And the life we have is the same life that God breathed into Adam having formed him from clay in the garden. Body after body after body from Adam to you and me is the body of life in us. What started in the garden continues today and will continue till God says, enough. And the life in us will continue 
till God is no more. And that will never be. <laughs> we look at the life that has been in us since the days of Adam, and we tend to think of that life as if it were common, ordinary, natural life. But that's not the case, for the life we have in us is as mysterious as ever it was. That was that we are here is a miracle in itself. But as individuals, how can we continue in the next life? Let's think. Here we are today. We stand at the doorway to death, and we ask ourselves with Job, if a man die, shall he live again? At funerals, we ask, what has happened to that one who has died? Yesterday, he was full of life. Where, what is he today? Does he live today? Where is he today? Our natural instinct tells us that he shall live again. And the great majority of men and women have always believed in the future life. And that's my next point. First, is there life after death? Of course there is. Second, did, did the ancients believe in life after death? Whether they did or not is not a point that reflects on God's truth. But it does show that immortality is an idea that has been around since the days of the garden. In ancient Babylon and Assyria, according to old Akkadian literature, which I've not read, people believed in the afterlife. I think I got all this from, from Albert Barnes. Anyway, there are many hymns about life after death, though they're without divine inspiration. And some of them are as much as a thousand years older than the book of Psalms. <clears throat> Their religious and there are religious, their religious epics were many. One is the Epic of Gilgamesh, in which different experience in the land of the shades, Hades, in the lower world as are examples. They bear witness to the idea of the afterlife. By the way. Though I haven't read much of it, I have a copy of that epic in the office in a book called Ancient Near Eastern Texts. The book has been useful in the past. Perhaps it will be useful again. Some of the oldest literature in the world is found in the Egyptian Book of the Dead. Perhaps that book is in my uh, Ancient Near Eastern Texts. Belief in the afterlife is prominent in that book. The Egyptians believed that the soul could not enjoy immortality unless the body itself was preserved, causing the Egyptians to go through elaborate embalming techniques. They built gigantic pyramids, showing to what length they would go to to preserve the body for the return of the spirit. The corpse or the money or the mummy, the corpse or the mummy was given a copy of the Book of the Dead to aid him in his journey 
through the underworld. There are others. India had the book had the Hindu version of these ancient beliefs. The Zoroastrians had their versions. So did the Greeks. The Greeks also had many gods to go along with their belief in the afterlife. Islam has always believed in the afterlife. I give you these examples of belief in the afterlife to show you that this is a universal belief among mankind. There is, however, another religion that is different from all these. It's the philosophy of materialism. Though not a full-fledged religion, it maintains that at death, the soul of the man of man is as the flame of a candle that's snuffed out. Today, there are not many professing materialists, but there are multitudes of practicing materialists. Immortality. Did the ancients believe in the afterlife? Yes, they did. Some more than others, but all these religions... But of all these religions, Christianity is different. In Christianity, the Almighty created the heavens and the earth, and then he created man. The crowning glory that makes Christianity different is that the Christian God lives today. He came out of the grave to live today, and of all those other gods, Christ defeated death because he lives today and he gives victorious life to all who believe in him. So, do we have after do we do we live after death? Yes. Did the ancients believe in life after death? Yes. And then does immortality vindicate God's justice? Does immortality vindicate God's justice? Now, that's a pretty that's a different point, if ever there was one, but I think you'll understand why I word it that way. Let me explain. There must be a future life in order to vindicate God's justice if this life so much, in this life, so much good goes unrewarded and so much evil goes unpunished. And that's it in a nutshell. Does immortality vindicate God's justice? If there is if there are if there are is no other if there is no other reason, then the demands of God's law vindicates God's justice. In other words, God's word and deeds are a sufficient law unto themselves. If not, then the moral order of the universe would not be right. For it was God who created the universe, but God's rule is sufficient. He is sovereign, and what he does is right. But the point here is not so much God as it is his people and the immortality that is before us. In this life, we often see the wicked succeed. They get unjust gain. They have so much of the world's good. Often they have a far better time in this life than those who try to keep God's commandments. We often see truth dragged in the dirt 
and evil sitting on the throne. There have been those on the right who have been unshining examples of this, but I think of two, and they're on the left, who will forever fill the bill, Clinton and Obama. They sat in the highest office in the land, even though evil went with them wherever they went. I think we could put Biden in there too. Another example, many long years ago, many long years ago, we saw Nero in the palace while Paul was in the dungeon. And today there are injustices done in our own courts to innocent people. Listen to this. I'd like to see General Flynn pardoned and rehired by President Trump or some other conservative who's in office. The left ruined General Flynn and his sterling military record. And they, they came as close as frog's hair to doing the same thing to Justice Kavanaugh. The left gets away with murder, while if someone on the right sneezes wrong, sneezes wrongly, he's hauled into court. Now these are just a few of a uh, few of the examples where right is wrong and wrong is right. Seems like old Isaiah had a word about that. Isaiah five twenty through twenty two. Isaiah five verse twenty. Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, and that darkness that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Verse twenty one. Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. 22. Woe unto them that are mighty to drink wine and men of strong, men of strength to mingle strong drink. Now think of those who escaped punishment for their crimes. I've already mentioned some, and those names are sufficient. But know that justice demands punishment. And if punishment doesn't come in this life, surely it will come in the next life. Sin will be punished in the next life. Now, think of the opposite. Often, weak people are victims of cruelty and oppression. I think of the man in Luke chapter 16 laid at the rich man's door. Listen as I read Luke 16, 19 through 21. Here's verse 19. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores. Verse 21. And desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table, moreover the dogs came and licked his swords. Note that that the reward of both of the reward for both of these men. Note the reward for both of these men, and note too that it occurs in the afterlife. Luke sixteen twenty four to twenty five. 
And the rich man, and he, the rich man, cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, sin Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivedest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. Here's the question. Does immortality vindicate God's justice? Of course it does. Luke 16 proves that point. For if there is no afterlife, the demands of divine justice would not be met. And immortality would not vindicate God's justice. It's an unalterable view of divine justice that each man will receive his just reward and if not paid in this life, it will be paid in the next life. Note Galatians 6, 7 through 8. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. To deny the future life is to open the door to all kinds of indulgences, crime, hedonism. If death ends everything, life is a mockery. And death and God is dishonored and unjust. Does immortality vindicate God's justice. Yes, it does. It has to vindicate his justice. For God is eternally just, and he's never wrong. Next is prayer. So let's pray. Our Father and our God, we come to you again. In the name of the Lord Jesus, we come because, oh Lord, we need you. This world is too much for us. We don't have the strength to continue on half the time, or more than that, all the time. But we look to you now for the assurance of our eternal life in heaven, of immortality. Lord, we love thee, and we need thee, and we ask that you bless these dear people tonight. We pray it in Jesus' name, and for his sake, Amen.